Today's reading is from the book of Jonah. We're reading chapter 4 and then the first four verses of, sorry, chapter 3 and then the first four verses of chapter 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to the message proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Then Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles... Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarnish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for reading that for us. Well, good morning, one and all. It is good to be back here with you this morning. As you're aware, um, I've been on holidays just recently. And, and I think that uh, we as a people, we have to start focusing on the good things that God is doing. So I just want to tell you about a couple of things that happened uh, leading up to my holidays. And as I returned from holidays and things like that, uh, on the Friday before I left work, um, the Lord laid a particular female of this congregation on my heart. And I contacted this person. I spent quite a bit of time speaking with them. And uh, I, I showed them a number of passages of scripture, which led them to believe they needed Jesus Christ. She gave her life to the Lord. That's worth celebrating, people. That is worth celebrating. I come back from holidays, and of course, my responsibility is to find someone to mentor and guide this woman and to grow her in faith. She doesn't know anything of scripture. And, and so I, I was praying about this, and I was asking the Lord to reveal someone who could do this. This young lady approached me and said, can I please mentor that girl who gave her life to Christ? How awesome is that? That has to be a work of God. That is not something that I did. 
During our holidays, Elena and I, we, we love having a break. We love um, just reconnecting and everything like that. During that two weeks, we ministered to five people from this congregation. The reason we did that is not because it was our holidays, but because we have a responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to those who are around us. These are five people who are in crisis situations. And they came to us to be ministered to. That's a work of God as well. That's absolutely awesome. We come back from holidays. My wife had one week left in her workplace. And my wife, I mean, you know my wife. I'm punching way above my weight, aren't I? She is an incredible woman. She is godly. She is loving. And she just shows Christ each and everywhere she goes. And she has come to the end of her time in this workplace. She has been in this workplace for eight years. This is a workplace which was one of the conditions in her moving and following me as a pastor to Birkdale. This was one of her conditions. She said, Charlie, I can't move unless I have a great job. I spoke to two people as we moved to Birkdale and Elena had a job. Can you believe that? And this is the job that Elena has been in ever since. And when we came here, one of the most difficult things for her was to leave that place where she believes God would have her minister because she didn't think her work was done. And when you see what they said about her, God has had an incredible impact because she was faithful to him. That's what we should be celebrating in this place. We should be looking for God's hand. We should have a desire to see him move. We should be celebrating the great things that God is doing. And so this morning, I want to speak about true love. And you're going to be asking yourself why we're in the middle of Jonah when we do that. But this morning, as we go through this, this topical subject... I want you to be honest with yourself. I want you to think about how this applies to you. And more than that, I want you to ask what action you need to take so you can draw closer to God and you can be more an example of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He calls us to be his ambassadors, his representatives on this earth. And so we need to ask what action do we need to take to ensure that we respond in a loving way to those, first and foremost, who are part of the body of Christ and then to those who are outside the body of Christ in line with all that God teaches us in his word. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you I can stand before these people. It is an honour and a privilege that I never thought I'd have in my life. And Lord, now I ask the truth of your word will come through to each one of us. So I thank you. You have challenged me in this first and foremost. And Lord, I pray that challenge will go forward to these people as well. You alone, by power of Holy Spirit, move hearts. And I ask you to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Matthew, we have this story of the Pharisees who came to Jesus. And one of them was a lawyer. And he said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What is it that we should be doing more than anything else? And Jesus responded and said to him, love the Lord the God, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is only a few days away from being crucified, a few days away from going to his death. And so everything he said seems to have added weight to me. This is the important stuff. This is the stuff he wants people to get. And God, first and foremost, is who we should love. And then after this, we should love our neighbors. Who is our neighbors? When we look into scripture and we try and see who our neighbors is, it is evident that our neighbors is absolutely every living, breathing soul. We don't have a choice. We can't get out of it. And we are called to love them. And I have no doubt 
if we were to go one-on-one, -on -one, get each of you to come up here on stage and to ask you if you love God, the vast majority of you would say yes. In fact, it would be an anomaly if anyone said no. In reality, if I asked the same question about loving your neighbour, I wonder what we'd say. But even in that loving God, we can say we love God, but honestly, words are cheap. If we say we love God, then it should be clearly evident in our lives. It should be lived out. And so first and foremost, I want us to understand that love, the love of God leads to a life of obedience. And I know some of you are sitting here saying that that's a no-brainer. And I know some of you think we, we've covered this ground before. But ask yourself, are you truly obedient to God? Are you following all of his teachings? 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his, his commandments are not burdensome. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not saying that anything we do will win God's love. That is absolutely impossible. But when we've encountered Jesus, when we've experienced his love, then our life should be totally transformed. There should be this massive transformation. And part of that transformation is the desire to be obedient to him and all of his commandments. In fact, obeying his commandments will become a deep desire of those who have truly encountered Jesus. Now, I'm not going to say that we should live this perfectly, that we should live this out. We all know that is not the case. But each and every day, our desire should be to draw closer to him. Our desire should be to resubmit ourselves to him. It should be a daily desire to set aside those things which we know are not of God. And when we set those things aside and recommit ourselves to him, it allows us to be separated for him and his purposes, his work, his glory. And we'll have a desire to focus on those things which unite us. A willingness to let go of those things that do not. But it can only happen if we've truly encountered God. And this is what Jesus was talking about in some of the final words that he gave to his disciples. John 13, 34 and 30, 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also love one another. And it's by this that all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have loved one for another. And Jesus' example to us was one where he laid aside all his rights, all his privileges. He didn't depend upon his status as Messiah, Creator, Son of God, Saviour, Lord, or any of the amazing titles that he has, and rightfully so. He was a living, breathing example of how we should treat each other. And if we get it right, the very relationships we have will be such that the world will be drawn to God. The crazy thing is, we have this great way of justifying and making excuses for our actions, attitudes, comments, correspondence, that are in direct conflict with clear teaching of Scripture. And sometimes we even use other passages of Scripture to support these actions and the passage we read from Jonah is an example of someone who didn't really get it I believe that there's quite a bit of us in the story of Jonah quite a bit of me and Jonah would tell you that he wanted justice and the word of the Lord came to Jonah 
Arise, go to Nineveh, this great city, and cry against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up, and he went in the other direction. He fleed from the Lord. And Jonah is called to to preach to the people of Nineveh and call them to repentance. But he really doesn't want to. And instead of being obedient to God, he goes in the opposite direction. He finds a boat. He gets on board. Uh, God sends a storm. Jonah gets thrown overboard. He gets swallowed by a large fish. Then he gets vomited up on the beach. Sounds nice. And then he decides that he better do what he's told. And so Jonah rises up that second time and he goes, but he's not happy about it. Jonah has an issue. And many of us have the same issue. But we never voice it because scripture tells us that we can't do this. But the reality is, Jonah hates the people of Nineveh. Jonah doesn't want to see the people of Nineveh saved. He wants to see them wiped out. He would like nothing more than to see burning sulfur burn from heaven and fall on them and annihilate them. And if you were to ask Jonah why he wanted that to happen, he would most likely say, it would be just. God's judgment falling on them would be the right thing. But the reality for Jonah and many of us is that what we call justice is not actually justice at all. What Jonah and what so many people want is revenge. When we read the start of Jonah 4, we see Jonah is angry. And the original text basically says he was angry to the pit of his stomach. He is loathing, he is disgusted with the outcome, he's hating what has happened. And for me, Jonah's response is crazy. In the middle of this, we see God's judgment and love. And and what's crazy about Jonah's response is that he speaks the word of God that God has given him to speak. And he sees this incredible revival. Everyone, everyone, do you get that? Everyone in the city of Nineveh repents. This is an absolutely amazing thing. They turned from their evil way. And when God saw what they did, he relented and he did not bring disaster upon them. And I can't speak for Pastor Darrell or any of the other pastors in this church, but I've got to be honest, if I was given a message to preach to someone and 122,000 of them came to Christ, turned to him and repented, I'd be pretty happy. I'd be pretty ecstatic. Has that ever happened to you? Only once. Okay. Well, Pastor (laughs) Darrell, repent. Anyway, (laughs) but that's just it. Why doesn't Jonah get excited about this? Why doesn't he celebrate the good things that God has done? This is an incredible thing. But Jonah gets no pleasure from it. He's no doubt still angry with Nineveh. But now he's angry with God too. And what's what's his complaint about God? It's, It's really bizarre. Jonah's complaint is that God was gracious. God was merciful. God was slow to anger. And he knew God was abounding in steadfast love. And he knew God relents from doing harm. And he hated it because God did that to Nineveh. And he says he would rather die than live with the knowledge of what God has done. Jonah's complaint is that God is too kind, too gracious, too loving, too compassionate. And this is why 
He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He thought God might have done this. He thought God might have been willing to forgive them. And Jonah seems to forget, like so many of us, that he was one who needed that same forgiveness. And Jonah's miserable. But let's flip this. What would Jonah be doing if Nineveh didn't repent and they were wiped out? God's judgment did fall upon them. I think he would have been dancing in the streets. It's bizarre. And there's a tension here. Because as I read through Jonah, the God I worship, who loves us so much, is also a God of judgment. We can't have one without the other. And it's difficult to explain to many people that our God is just in that judgment. But I've learnt very recently that true love can only exist in the presence of judgment. Do we have any visitors here today? I know there's a few. Please raise your hands. Yeah, I'm going to make you very uncomfortable, okay? Can you imagine as visitors, because you guys don't actually know me, can you imagine, I'm going to walk off this stage, I'm going to walk right up to you, I'm going to put my face this far away from you, and I'm going to eyeball you, and I'm going to say, I love you. Does that make you uncomfortable? And just in case there's any misunderstanding here, I'm going to say, no, no, you misunderstand. I really, really love you. You are the love of my life. I think we've just gone next level, haven't we? I mean, the normal people here, the people who know me, they're all uncomfortable for you as well. So please don't leave the building. But that's just it. If I was to do that and you were to think that I was sincere in what I said, you'd possibly be looking for the closest exit. I couldn't blame you. For those of you who have some people alongside you who know me, they'd possibly lean over and say, don't worry, we know he's crazy too. Just let this slide. But the one thing that is true is that there is absolutely no way I can declare that love to you if I don't even know you. It's impossible. Think about the dating sites that so many people use these days, and I'm sure that I'm not on my own when I've heard of some of these stories about people who've fallen in love with someone online, and then lo and behold, they find out that the person isn't who they portrayed themselves to be. It's either a scam or this person who used a truckload of poetic license in their descriptions about who they are ends up being someone totally different. They don't appear to be the person that they originally fell in love with. And so... Instantly, that love evaporates. The reason why that love evaporates is because they fell in love with an image. They fell in love with something that wasn't real. The real image that came to them was not what they expected. Now, I want you to think about those who are closest to you. I want you to think about your families, if you're close to your family. Some of us aren't. I know that. I'm one of those. I want you to think about your spouse. I want you to think about your close friends. I want you to think about those people that you're comfortable confiding in. If these people who know you more than anyone else are able to love you, what's that say? They know the good. They know the bad. They know the incredibly ugly. And they love you anyway. And that's exactly how God loves us. That's exactly how he loves you. 
God sees you. And he sees each of us exactly as we are. The good, the bad, and the incredibly ugly. He never has had, never will have, a distorted or false image of you. He has not been deceived. He knows you. And there's nothing about you that hasn't been revealed to him. But incredibly, he loves you. He loves me. But in the middle of this love comes God's justice. His judgment as a result of sin is death and eternal separation from him. And we all fall under this. It is the only possible outcome for a God who is just, a God who is holy, a God who is righteous. But with our God, there's more than just that, so much more than we could ever hope or imagine. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of compassion. And he's a God of love. And so he was moved by his great love for us. And in his infinite wisdom, because I don't understand how this worked, but in his infinite wisdom, God exercises his mercy through his justice. He looks upon us. He looked upon mankind. He saw our sin. And his justice demands payment in full. And it's through the cross that his justice is met, where sin is dealt with once and for all, where God's wrath is fully satisfied. And his incredibly love, his incredible love, is so totally realised. What an incredible God. Have you met that God? Have you met him? Do you know him? Sadly, I believe we're living in a time where even in the church, we're not permitted to make moral judgments. Those who are willing to call people out on bad behaviour or conduct are ridiculed. But we must, as a people of God, make moral judgments. That doesn't mean we shout it from the rooftops or from the front. But we must. We have to look at what is wrong, first and foremost, in my life then what is wrong in the life of the church? And finally, what is wrong in society? And we have to be willing to seek God's wisdom in discerning what is going on and then to name that which is wrong. If we do not, if we do not do this, it will never be dealt with. Not ever. Once we acknowledge what is wrong and we name it, We need to be willing to be moved by God's spirit to do something about what is wrong. God looked upon us and he saw everything that was wrong, men alive. And when he looked at me, there was a ton. But it didn't repulse him. It didn't cause him to turn away. It spurred him into action, an action that was motivated by his love, an action intended to bring people to himself, an action intended to unite humanity. And he intended to do that through his church. Two Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. He's official representative on earth. As such, we are called, each and every one of us, we are called to allow God to use us. So he can appeal to all men, women and children through us. And that call is to be reconciled. We have a choice to make. And I'm asking you to make that choice again today, to renew that choice. Not for my sake, but for the sake of the God so many of us claim to live for. When in reality, our lives are no different to those around us. And God calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. It's a bit like that call to Jonah, isn't it? I want to finish with three questions this morning. The story of Jonah shows a man who reluctantly did all that God had called him to do. And God does this incredible work, 120,000 people are saved, but Jonah gets no joy from it. He's totally miserable because of what God has done. And Jonah was far from loving the people of Nineveh, and Nineveh can be considered his neighbour. And because he hated Nineveh, he ran from God and his responsibility. I wonder what Jonah was really like. Did he go to the synagogue on the Sabbath? Did he open the scrolls and did he read them? Did he pray in the temple? Did he sing praises to God? I don't know. What about you? Are you like Jonah? Are you running from God? Are you being disobedient first and foremost in allowing him to make his appeal to the lost through you? Are you forbidding God from controlling all of your life? Are you keeping your finances from him? Are you keeping your marriage from him? Are you keeping your sex life from him? Are you keeping your purity from him? Are you keeping your future from him? Your children, your hopes, your dreams, are you keeping those things from him? Or have you laid them at the altar of the Lord and asked him to take it all and guide you, let your life be for him? Because the thing is, if we keep anything from him, he is not Lord of our life, is he? He needs to be Lord of all. And only recently, I've really thought about Jonah and Nineveh and how this all ended up. And in Nineveh, as we should have in this church, there's this awesome celebration of the things that God has done. God relented and he has blessed these people because they turned from the evil ways and they're able to celebrate him. And where's Jonah? He's sitting under a wilted vine. This guy's just sucking sour grapes. And I know where I'd prefer to be. Jonah is totally miserable. I want to be the one that's celebrating. I want to be the one that's honouring and glorifying God. The second question is exactly that. Are you celebrating God's goodness? Jonah missed the boat on this, and I'm asking that we don't. I'm asking that you don't miss God's goodness. You don't miss the celebration. I'm asking you to be looking with eyes wide open and see the good things that God is doing in this place. He works in individuals, and he works in, through, and around us as a people of God, and he is doing great things. I know I've said it before, but I will not stop saying it. God is doing a great work here at SDBC. When we gather, we need to focus on God's goodness. I love our prayer meetings. You know, we share about the good things that God is doing. Every meeting I have, as a matter of fact, I start with good news stories. You can testify to that. You know I say that. And we hear all about the things that God is doing. And, and God continues to move. 
I could go on for days, but I shared a little bit at the start about some of the stuff that God has been doing around me. I had opportunity to share. Uh, I had a bit of a situation uh, early last week and I ended up heading off to hospital. I got an opportunity to share with these people for 45 minutes. They wanted to know what brought me to be a pastor. Man, was that a golden opportunity or what? Uh, it was recorded for a TV show. I don't know if I'll ever make it, but there you go. We'll see what happens. And so there's so many people that miss what God is doing. They don't want to celebrate because of where their hearts are at. And we've got to pray for soft hearts towards the things of God. And so we see these people in Nineveh. We see the people who do celebrate God's goodness. They're in God's presence. They enjoy his presence. And Jonah is sitting under that wilted vine. And we've got to change that. We've got to get out from under that wilted vine. We've got to stop pointing out the moral failings of others and see the good in them. We've got to start elevating this church. This is the bride of Christ. You want to throw mud at the church? You're throwing mud at the bride of Christ. And I, for one, don't want to be that person. The final question. How are you living right now? This is the question that has to be asked and answered. Are you living in obedience to God? This morning... Even if you call yourself a Christian, I have to ask, have you experienced a depth of repentance where your life has been totally changed? Totally changed. The harsh reality is, if you call yourself a Christian but there's been no transformation, no change in your life, then you do not know the forgiveness of Jesus. You have not experienced his compassion. I want you to think about Paul in the beginning of Romans 9 where he talks about longing to be cursed so his fellow Jews would come into glory. That's loving your neighbour. He would prefer to be cut off from Christ for all eternity if it would mean the Jews would come to know Christ. Do we love our neighbour like that? We should. He gets it. He's experienced God's grace in his own life. He knows just how bad he was. And he knows even more the great love of God. And Paul knows how to show that to his neighbour. I want you to hear me. God loves you. And he loves you unconditionally. He sees everything and he knows what you were doing. You're not fooling him. But you may be fooling yourself. And you may be fooling those around you. But you're not fooling him. He sees you and he knows you. God offers forgiveness at the cross. He calls us to repentance. And I ask you this morning... Acknowledge the cross. Acknowledge your need for his forgiveness. Father God, you're incredible. And I don't understand a love that would motivate you to reach out to someone like me. Oh, but I'm glad you did. And Lord, my prayer is, everyone who hears my voice, We'll get a glimpse 
of that love this morning. That they will know that incredible love that motivated you to come into this world, to die upon the cross, not just for my sins, but for the sins of all mankind, so we could have relationship with you. And Lord, that's just not a one-off event. You have so much more in store for us. You transform lives, Lord. You make great things happen. We can be found in the midst of your glory, celebrating you. Lord, that's where we want to be. And so, Lord, I pray for a softening of hearts here this morning. I pray by power of Holy Spirit, you'll do your work amongst us. And, Lord, I know there's people that you've spoken to this morning. Give them the courage to come forward, Lord. By power of Holy Spirit, let them come for prayer. Because, Lord, when we move, when you speak, the angels celebrate in glory. And I want it too. We submit to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.